Hi, Deal Scout listeners. This is Tim Malazzo, CEO of StackSource. StackSource is one of the nation's fastest growing commercial real estate financing companies. Successful real estate investors use StackSource's financing portal to find the ideal financing for multifamily and commercial real estate deals nationwide from our network of banks, credit unions, life insurance companies, and debt funds. Don't waste time or lose money relying on the wrong commercial lender. Visit go.stacksource.com slash the deal scout for a free commercial mortgage quote today. That's go.stacksource.com slash the deal scout. Good day, everybody. Welcome to the deal scout. Josh here having a conversation with fellow dealmakers talking about deals. On today's uh, show, we're going to have a conversation with People's Capital Group, Mr. Aaron. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Glad to be here. Yeah, awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what are you up to? All right. So my name is Aaron Fragnito. I'm co-owner of a company called People's Capital Group. Basically, for the last 10 years, we've helped people invest in apartment buildings in North Jersey. We've developed a management company there as well. And we've really zeroed in on this North Jersey market and we manage everything in-house. We work with a lot of local investors that are passive. And uh, so we've really learned this market very well. It's a high demand market and how to navigate through the red tape. Uh, the management end of it. We've built that infrastructure. We've, you know, learned uh, how to be uh, slow to hire, fast to fire, and all the challenges of, of developing a good management system. Um, so that's really what sets us apart from other real estate syndicates. You know, we don't just chase markets or, or work with third-party management companies. We really try to control our assets in-house, and that allows us to ideally get our projects done faster and make better returns for investors. Okay, awesome. So. Um... I definitely want to get into what a good management company looks like, mm -hmm. uh, especially as your people are investing money and such like that. But how did you get started in the game? Let's get let's go backwards a little bit, kind of figure out your your origin story, how you got in the game, how you decided to do um, multifamily. Uh oh, did I lose you? Yep, absolutely. So I actually, oh, I'm here. I, I can hear you. Oh, it says my internet connection is unstable, but I, I can hear you fine. Am I? Uh, Am I back on now? Yep. Yep. Keep on going, buddy. Go for it. Okay. Here we go. All right. So I got started actually in this business. Uh, I, I read a book, of course, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and very common book. Everyone, <laughs> similar story to mine. And, you know, I, I was graduating college. Uh, I had an entrepreneurial degree. I learned about what a franchise was and the debit and credit. I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So it definitely took some time. I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read a number of other books about real estate investing and commercial real estate investing and developing a fund. And they all made it sound so easy. So, you know, I made it, I made a list on my wall. I said, okay, I want to have a net worth of $1 million uh, in 10 years and passive cash flow of hundred thousand dollars from real estate holdings. That was my 10 year goal. So I, I made a kind of work backwards from that. I said, okay, well, I need to meet people, learn the industry, make connections, uh, find deals, raise capital, build trust with investors. And so I said, okay, well, to get started, then maybe I should get my real estate license. So I went back home in New Jersey. I actually was living in Colorado. I, I taught kids how to ski for six months. I moved out there after graduating college. And it was a good experience because I really doubled down on what I wanted to do with the real estate. And then I went back and did it in New Jersey, got my real estate license, learned wholesaling, made like $500 the first six months in real estate. It was like 2010. No one was buying a house. It was not a great time to be a listing yeah. agent. You really, uh, so I learned uh, short sales. I learned REOs, bank owned properties. I met investors with cash 
buying real estate and I was the deal guy. So I had a good resource there. They had a good resource with their capital. They needed me, I needed them. And over time I developed those relationships. So those individuals, some of them would end up investing in me in, in bigger projects and took off from there. Got it. So you, you, you started in real estate and, and you know, in a, in a really rough time in the marketplace, but you kind of found your, find a, a good way to work with investors, you know, working with, um, you know, real estate owned properties and, and short sales and such like that. Uh, when you started working with investors, what was the first thing that you realized you needed to learn, like as learning grow in with working with investors versus retail, you know, real estate people? Well, just, I, I think, uh, you know, I started as a realtor learning the transaction, which is good. You, you know, you want to learn how a transaction works, how to structure that, you know, what is title, what is real estate, what is zoning, all that stuff. But um, it was the management end of it. You know, I leased to the wrong tenants up front. Like the first time I bought a, a five unit property, I, mean, I got a great price on it. It's worth five times what I paid for it. But every single tenant I put in there the first time around was a, um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank. It's the uh, temporary uh, housing. It's six months of uh, rent. And uh, I'm drawing a blank for exactly what, what that's called. But um, it's not Section 8, right? Section 8 is when you actually have continuous payment from the government. So in this case, uh, it was a good a voucher for six months. Temporary rental assistance, TRA. That's what it's called. Uh, so I filled up my building with TRA tenants. Within six months, one tenant was paying rent because the idea is it's six months of rent, it gets them on their feet to go to school or get a job. But unfortunately, none of them were able to accomplish that in that period of time. So I ended up with five out of uh, six uh, evictions there going on. So that was my first experience in real estate. And I, I was like, wow, it was so easy to lease up this building. I leased it up so fast, man. I'm a great leasing agent. I got like top dollar. All the tenants were like, yeah, I'll give you what you're asking. I got the, I got the gold ticket here. And uh, for the first six months, I thought I was the smartest landlord in Newark. But uh, I quickly realized that um, there's a reason those tenants were knocking down the door to get in. And I really didn't do my due diligence qualifying them or doing my research on the tenants and landlord references, credit scores, background. You know, Now we do all those things. And I'd rather sit on the market a little bit longer and get a really good tenant than just take the first tenant that comes along. Yeah. Now you're sitting across from, here's the scenario. You're sitting across from a person and they want, you know, you've got a bunch of doors under management and ownership and, and someone's going, I want to, you know, move in. But let's just say you have like 10 different tools between due diligence of background checks, you know, reference checks, you, you can look at their, you know, financial statements and such like that. But let's just say you only have one tool to look at mm -hmm. to see if this renter is going to be a good renter or not. If you could only choose one, what do you think is the most valuable? Oh, very good question. And I know the answer. Landlord reference. It's simple. I don't care what your credit score is. Chances are, if you're on Section 8, you have a pretty bad credit score, right? Um, and then I, I, I honestly, you know, your income levels, that varies. You know, I show my income through refinance of real estate. So certain people are like, oh, well, you don't make a W-2. You don't make any income. Yeah, well, that's not really the case. I just pay myself differently. So the way, you know, you make your income, the way you pay your bills, th those can be different stories for different situations. Um, it's all about the last landlord, right? Um, and and did he get paid on time? Were you a good tenant? Did you follow the rules, or are you being you know removed from the property by uh, foreclosure or um, eviction? And you know, of course, uh, that that won't always show on a credit report or anything like that. Also, if you're in eviction court, that doesn't show. I don't know that. So, landlord reference all the way.
that that's the best tool to find out how they're going to do it at your next one and see what they did in their past. Right. Like, oh, absolutely. Like Just like dating someone, talk to their ex. If you really want, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> really want to get the story. No, no, that's not a good strategy. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that gets into trouble. So yeah. uh, when, when you're working with investors, you know, they, an investor could take their, their money anywhere, do anything with it. When you're sitting across from them, they got their checkbook out, ready to write you a million dollar check. Why should they invest with you guys, you know, versus someone else? Like why, why people's capital group? Why Aaron? Well, the first thing I would say to that person is put your checkbook away. Let's, you know, really discuss the offering. Let's fully understand the investment and dip your toe in the water with us first. So you get comfortable with us read our monthly updates on the investment, learn about what you're investing in, start getting the cash flow checks and the tax appreciation. I mean, the experience investing with us, we've been doing this about 10 years and we started, you know, just working kind of with investors or one-on-one and then really grew to a, a nice system. So, you know, I, I have a stockbroker and, and he sends me these things in the mail. I have no idea what they even mean. They're like long packets of like really in-depth financials of stuff like all these different class. I don't even know where I'm in the investment. Is he asking me to invest? Is, are they disclosing it? Is I or have I already invested in it? So like that's a perfect example of, a, in my opinion, a bad financial advisor. And I probably need to buy myself a new one because <laughs> I don't even know what's going on with my my capital. It's a small IRA. I, I hardly put any money in my IRA, but that's that's a good example of, you know, I, I kind of just stay with them because they're really a huge firm. And I'm like amazed at how in my opinion, poor the experience is investing with them. And I just kind of like to stay with them to see what it's like investing with a really large stock firm, even though I have a small amount of capital with them. And I find it confusing. I, I'm not, my accessing my account is a complicated uh, process. So, you know, I'd like to make it really easy to invest with us. You understand what you're investing in. You understand how much you're going to make, why you're likely to make that why we're investing in these markets, why we do the management in-house and how important that is and how I get paid, right? Do I get a fee no matter what? Uh, no, I, I get paid when you get paid. The property has to perform. We're in this together. And um, so, you know, th- that is what I would say to the investor. And uh, then I would discuss how much he's looking to invest. Yes. Got it. So you, you started out, you, you got five uh, or six unit building, you know, you found out, you know, the temporary uh, assistance is, mm-hmm. is a, is a great resource maybe to get started, but you put all your eggs in one basket in that, in that first complex that you got, mm-hmm. like, what would you do different? If you could go back to that first, mm. that first group that you, you purchased and, and managed, what would you do differently then? Well, you know, just in the minute detail that I would have gotten, probably section eight tenants or just uh, cash paying tenants, which now I have a combination of both in the property, which is nice. Um, I probably would have um, shopped around for a management company a little more aggressively. I kind of ended up just going with a management company that I was kind of friendly with, but they weren't that organized. Um, You know, it's hard to say. I I mean, I'm I'm really glad I bought that property. I bought it for $135,000. It just appraised for like 670. You know, I've probably put like 50 to 80 grand in it, but that's just like, you know, cash flow comes in and like I fix up the properties, it goes along. So it's really not like I'm even writing a check for that. That's like money coming out of the property, maintaining the property. So, sure. you know, what a great asset class. If I would have done anything differently, probably just stuck to buying income properties and, and focused on buying multifamily real estate in those areas like downtown Newark and around Rutgers University in Newark and certain other inner city areas in New Jersey, Jersey City, holy mackerel, boy, if I had a crystal ball, I would have just put all my money in Jersey City, uh, 
whenever I got started, you know, 11 years ago. Um, so, you know, and that's, that's it. I mean, I would have just bought more. Um, I did a lot of wholesaling. I became a top producing realtor. I developed a real estate team. Uh, I did 50 fix and flips, bought old properties, fixed them up with my partner, Seth Martinez. We did a lot. And then we circled back around and got back into the real estate syndicate, buying apartment buildings. You know, we, we realized because we bought a 25 unit and then sold it and did so well on it, but made so many mistakes. We were like, wait a minute, flipping apartment buildings is a lot more forgiving than flipping houses because you don't get paid while you're flipping a big fancy home. It just sits there vacant. Then you have to convince a buyer to pay top dollar for it, a home inspection and da da da. The market might drop it. Apartment buildings make a lot of sense whether you're refinancing them or selling them. They make money while you hold them. They give you tax write-offs. I would have bought a lot more apartment buildings. That is so interesting. I, I, I haven't heard it that way before. Flipping an apartment complex was less risky and a better investment than flipping a uh, upscale home. Wow, oh, that's, that's awesome. Flipping, flipping upscale home is the worst investment strategy in reals, in my opinion. Million dollar flips, do not do them. Do not, they're terrible. First of all, the resale market's super soft. Secondly, the, the renovation costs on high-end homes is outrageous and really hard to predict, especially material costs and labor costs where they're going. And, you know, third, you're just, you're limited to who those buyers are. You know, if you're going to flip homes, fine, flip homes. It's the hardest way to make money in real estate ever. But go flip houses, buy homes for like 150, sell them for like 350. That's your, where you want to be. Everyone can afford a 300,000, you know, at least the areas where in very reasonable home prices, 300,000. And, you know, so do reasonably priced homes, you know, first time home buyers, you know, mid priced homes at most do not do high end homes. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. So you got into apartment complexes, right? And, and you got your first one. Talk to us about what you did after that and, and where you guys are at now. So, yeah, we first bought a 25 unit in South Jersey and we resold it about two and a half years later and we made a nice profit on it. Through that, we hired three different management companies and ended up developing our own. One management company just misled us, completely overpromised, underdelivered. Uh, another one, pretty much the same thing. And then the third one was actually taking money from us and, and didn't tell us. So we actually had to go to small claims court. We won. So it was a whole thing. So wow. we, yeah, we learned from that. Yeah, we had one and he was asking for the security deposits, but I had like a sixth sense about him. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, really a difficult experience working with management companies. That was years ago. And so we were forced to develop our own management company because we didn't want to keep on switching management companies for our assets and our, our tenants. It's confusing. It's a pain in the neck. So, um, you know, we really uh, focused on repositioning the building, improving it. We sold it for a nice profit. And then we really doubled down more on that uh, around 2018 of, of raising capital, buying apartment buildings. Uh, we had been fixing, flipping many homes, wholesaling many homes. And most of our investors were used to like short-term promissory notes or like one-year investments and in fix and flips, which like produce a pretty strong return. Or, you know, it's a pretty quick investment. We we're saying, well, in fact, let's, let's get away from the fix and flips, right? This was like 2018, 2017, because we kind of saw the writing on the wall. It was getting really hard to find deals. Um, labor and construction was getting more expensive, uh, you know, and just the resale market was going up, up, up. It still is, but finding a good fix and flip was going up, up, up too. So we basically started to really double down on apartment buildings. But what I realized was I had created a pool of investors used to investing in one-year investments. 
Um, and uh, they, you know, when you do an apartment building, it's, it's not a one-year investment. It tends to be about a three to five-year investment, but it can be far more profitable over that period of time. But that's really a different type of investor. And, and so I did kind of reset our brand at that time and, and raise capital in a different way and attract a different type of partner to invest in our assets. And, and that was hard as well, uh, just like building the management company, you know, resetting your brand from a house flipping company to a, an apartment buying company, although it doesn't sound that different, it was actually quite different. So that was a challenge too. Yeah. Now, when you meet someone, you and I are going out for a drink and, um, and I introduce you to someone like, how do you introduce yourself when someone's like, Hey, what do you do? Who are you? I say I own a real estate investment company. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's easy. That's simple. All right. So as you're doing real estate investments, mm-hmm. you have the actual, you're raising a fund, you're deploying capital to, to buy apartment complexes, and then you manage it. Right. That's so right. there's a bunch of different aspects. What are there aspects that I might've missed in that? You know, the, there's the raising the money acquisition, management. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, my job at the SEC regulates it more, right? So like, it's not just like writing a promissory note with your buddy now. It's it's different. You know, I uh, have to file a Reg D 506B every time I close on an asset, unless I'm, I'm doing a Reg D 506C, but essentially we do Reg D 506Bs that allow us to work with accredited investors and sophisticated investors. My job is to verify you're one or the other, um, if you're not qualified, you cannot invest with us. And I, I do come across that. And, and uh, we really pride ourselves on working with people that are just kind of getting started investing, finally have the $30,000 saved, have some excess cash, excess investments, but are ready to maybe self-trek their IRA or 401k. And um, n- normally most investment funds are not going to work with non-accredited investors, right? They really don't want to work with someone who can only invest $30,000 maybe one time. They really want to work with someone who's accredited, who's a, a millionaire essentially, and can invest millions of dollars. And I get it. I understand why. I'm, as the guy raising the capital, time is money. And I, I you know, do enjoy working with our multi-million dollar investors who have seven figures with us. We appreciate that very much so. But I also really in, take like personal pride when someone's like, hey, this is you know, my, my IRA, I'm not even supposed to take like more than half of it. Right. So this is like half of my IRA. Right. So, and, or please take my whole IRA. And I'm like, no, I I actually can't. You, you really need to have your eggs in multiple baskets. Um, so, and that's such a, such a a compliment for someone to trust us like that, especially if we're meeting you over the internet, you know, before COVID, I would have events in my office and events in Morristown and stuff. We'd meet face to face. Now, a lot of times you see me on a Zoom, you know, we're doing some webinars, we're talking on the phone a couple of times, and, and there, there's a lot of trust that has to be built in that period of time. And, and I really take pride in those individuals who, you know, uh, well, you're a Christian man, you know, when someone, uh, the story where the woman has uh, $2 or $3 in her pocket, and she gives all of it. And then the rich person who gives like $100, but has $1,000, you know, Jesus doesn't appreciate that as much. So. Yeah. I the smaller investors investing a larger amount of their portfolio. Well, yeah. you know, it, it shows like in comparison in that, in that story, it showed that she was trusting, you know, in that situation, she was trusting God mm-hmm. with all of her money versus the, the very wealthy person in that just trusts him with the very little. So yes. I, I, I think trust is such a, a, such a fantastic um, character trait. How do you build trust? You know, especially in this world today where a lot of stuff is virtual, 
right? Yeah. We're doing virtual stuff. So how do you go about developing trust with your potential investors? Well, I try to be very transparent off the bat. So you'll watch our webinars. I have a quarterly webinars that go over our projects that are going on. And I just put that out to the you know general public. Um, I have about 50 good investors that have been investing with us for years and continue to reinvest about nine out of 10 people reinvest with us over time. And, and I, I feel like, you know, if I were screwing people or, or not trustworthy or didn't have integrity, the internet these days is really a, a good test of that. You know, like if you don't have a happy customer, you're not running an honest business, it's going to come out. And especially with the business I'm in, you know, and, and it's notorious, right. For being filled with, with uh, questionable characters. So it, it's all about trust and it takes time, right? And I'll talk to someone for the first time. Uh, maybe they're following us for a year or so. Maybe they just started following us and found us on YouTube. So I know that conversation is just a, a beginning uh, opportunity for us to get to know each other. Uh, I'm not asking for a sale. I'm building rapport. I'm talking about what we're doing. I'm talking about my passion for real estate, how we help other people. And as time goes on, they'll ask me, what do we have available to invest in? As you've been doing this for the past 11 years, you know, you went from flipping houses to now uh, building, investing in apartment complexes and, and, and growing that. How many, you know, how many doors do you guys have under management or how many complexes do you guys have? Or, you know, give us an idea of, of how far you've come. Sure. So right now we have about 17 million in, in holdings um, and uh, we have about 120 doors or so. And uh, we had some you know, we usually take about 10% of our bottom assets and harvest them every year. And then uh, we're really doubling down on buying more apartment buildings. Last year, we did about $6 million in acquisitions. And we have a $3 million building lined up now we're, we're purchasing and another uh, $2 million building as well. So um, it was a tough year to find deals, but we have two good ones we're closing on now. Cool. What, what do you say is the most important thing that you've learned over the last 11 years when it comes to investing? Most important thing I've learned, well, uh, don't overpromise and underdeliver. And even when things are going well, don't be, don't overpromise. You know, I do that sometimes, you know, we'll get a project going, it'll start really strong. We'll be ahead of schedule, ahead of budget. I'll be like, this one's going to be a home run guys. It's really going great. And then, you know, a water main breaks, you know, or something that's kind of sets you back to, okay, now the project's where we're supposed to be from the start, you know? Yeah. So, um, and it's just so interesting. You know, I, I had a situation where um, we were planning on making about uh, 10% on an investment and uh, it went better than that. We made about 12% on the investment. And um, I remember saying to our investors, you know, hey, it's going really well. We're going to do much better than 10%. And uh, they took that as one investor took that as saying, you know, I'm going to like double their money or something. So when it came out as 12%, she's like very dissatisfied. And I realized I just, you know, need to recognize, you know, listen, mm -hmm. let's wait till the, the dust settles and let's not count our chickens before they hatch and always, always under promise and over deliver because it's stupid to set your bar way too high. You know, you're not going to tell your coach you're going to hit a home run every time out. You know, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. So you guys doing really great now. What does the 10 years in the future look like for you guys? So we do have a 10 year plan and it is to grow uh, ideally to around a hundred million dollars in assets. Our five-year plan is 50 million. And uh, so 
Uh, and we have a pathway to get there. Uh, really, you know, the first million is the hardest, as they say. Um, now it's just about building our relationships with investors, um, cycling through deals, which is always good, hitting the refinance. You know, one of the challenges with us, our deals are about a three to four year period. So to fully cycle them, it takes time. But what we find is when we do cycle the, through the investment, most of those investors reinvest because we would usually do about 10% better than target is. So. Nice. Nice. As you're, as you're building and growing, what do you think is, is your superpower in this whole, you know, syndication and, and the work that you do on a day-to-day basis? I'm a people person. I love people. I love what we're doing right now. You know, this is not work to me. Get to talk about myself. I could do this all day long. Just ask my wife. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but I love it, man. I, you know, I can make a mean spreadsheet. You know, I can sit down for three hours and really dig into the nitty gritty. You know, I can read through a, a mortgage contract and, you know, but I don't really like that part of the business. I, I really do enjoy working with investors, going out to lunch with them, talking to them about their family. You know, I just had a, a baby with my wife talking about my, my life and my goals and inspiring them as well. Um, and just, I, I, I really enjoy the people I do business with and I think they enjoy me. Uh, you have to like the people you do business with. You have to like, you know, not, not only on their side, but on my side too. I mean, you might say, well, you don't really have to like someone to, for them to invest in you, but you, you know, I'm working for them. I'm getting up early. I'm staying up late. I'm making these properties perform. I'm putting the extra, you know, mile when I need to. And, and, and when, just to make sure everything performs as we need to. So you kind of need to like the people investing in you too. And, and, and they want to like you. So so have those good relationships and business, you know, can be personal as well without being too personal, you know, but I think I have a lunch every six months with my investors and some of them take me up on it. Others don't. And um, I think it's a really nice thing to do. Yeah. What's a perfect deal look like? We're, we're at a bar or at a restaurant or something like that. And someone walks up with the perfect deal. What does that look like to you? Uh, it'd be about $1. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all about the price, you know, yeah. real estate's a really simple thing. It's a commodity, you know, it's worth a certain amount right now. And you can do X, Y, and Z to it and make it worth more in the future. Chances are, it'll just naturally be worth more in the future due to inflation and not natural market growth, especially the markets we buy in like high demand North Jersey markets just tend to boom nicely. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's location, it's price. It's ease of uh, renovation, you know, how complicated and how heavy a lift is the reposition, the renovation, Um, you know, but I also like deals where the sellers can take back a mortgage on it. You know, we've structured some nice things that way. And um, I like uh, one time I bought a two family for $30,000 at auction and sold it a week later for $130,000. So, you know, I like deals like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like deals like that. Those are great. Yeah, it was a pretty cool deal. Yeah. So as you're building and growing, um, what do you think are some challenges you'll face at, in, in our current economic times or in the near future? Sure. So, you know, the Fed's talking about raising interest rates, which quite frankly, they probably should do because it would actually ho- hopefully tamper down inflation is the plan at least, and uh, which is getting a little out of control. So, you know, I keep my eye on interest rates because our strategy is to buy, renovate and refinance, right? So we're burring. So, uh, you know, that interest rate is pretty important. Now, if interest rates go up a lot, that indicates the market at that time is going to be pretty strong. That's why they're increasing interest rates, kind of tamper down the market. It's too hot. So, you know, real estate's a good asset. If interest rates are crazy high, well, we could just sell the property because ideally the market's been increased to a nice rate at that point. 
Um, if interest rates are still low, I'm going to do the refinance and, and laugh all the way to the bank because then I don't have to pay capital gains tax because I'm not selling the property, which is my preferred strategy there. Got it. Um, and then, of course, it's a seller's market phase two, right? So market moves in four phases, buyers phase one, buyers phase two, sellers phase one, sellers phase two. So, you know, we're at the top of the wave. I get it, you know? And uh, so, you know, you might want to keep a few shekels in your back pocket, knowing that the market may slow down, prices may get better, but there's really no indication of that right now, at least in the market I'm investing in, in North Jersey, the market's super strong. So who's to say? Yeah. Who's to say? So how do you know you've won, right? Like you're, you're in this game and you and I are, are chatting in the future and we look back and you go, man, I did it. You know, you have, you, you just had your kid and we're, we're, we're having some lemonade on the front porch on the rocking chair. We look back and we go, we did it. How do you know you won? So to me, uh, it's, it's like not having to worry about money anymore, setting up your business so that you don't have to be the guy in the business. You know, I'm, I work very hard these days. I'm a young man. I'm building my portfolio. My business partner, I have the same vision, but I do remind him like, let's not let our egos get in the way, right? Let's actually set an angle. Let's like, not just do this for money's sake, you know, mm -hmm. let's have a real purpose. And we do try to give back to nonprofits and things like that and help out around the community. But yeah, you know, the bottom line is I want to be able to be a philanthropist, but I also, um, you know, I'm a big motocross guy, right? So I kind of want to be a motocross dad. Now, Dean is about a month and a half old, but he keeps making dirt bike noises. And I think he wants to be a professional motocross star. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, <laughs> now to get there, you need a dad who's going to like buy you all the stuff and drive you all the races and do all this. So like, I, that was always my dream to be able to do that. You know, I had the money and the time to be a very committed dad. Uh, you know, I remember uh, a couple of friends growing up who like that dad's like had enough money. They like didn't really have to work, you know? And like, I always thought that was like really cool. So that is uh, where I want to get to. And honestly, when I get to 50 million, I think I'll probably be there, but it's like, yeah, you might as well grow to a hundred, you know, just, just to be safe. <laughs> just to know. keep going. Yeah. So what does it take to, to be a good management company? Like why you, you said you, you tried a bunch of them before a few just under, under delivered one was actually doing, you know, taking from you guys, but you know, other than underperforming and taking money from you, like, what makes a really good management company for investors out there who own properties or looking to, to do a deal with a management company? Ooh, well, I really, uh, I, I developed a repositioning company, which like does construction, the whole thing. So a good management company, I did work with one decent management company and they were organized. They sent timely reports, which I liked. Um, they had contractors for a fairly good price. They had a pretty good Rolodex to be able to get people into the building to do work for a good price. Uh, I think their leasing was kind of weak. I was never too satisfied with how quickly they leased units or for what price. Um, but you know, they had their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, they were pretty affordable too, right? So I've met management companies that are very expensive and I've met ones that you kind of, you, you pay for what you get at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, organization, having good boots on the ground, being able to get things done for a discounted price. You know, if the pipe leaks and you're calling Roto-Rooter or something like that, they're going to nail you for like a buck 75 just to get out there. You know, so you kind of want to have guys like a handyman who can go out for a leaky pipe first for 20 bucks an hour, right? And he's going to look at it and be like, oh, it was like a small problem. 
always gonna be like, listen, your whole water main needs to be replaced, call Roto-Rooter, right? And then you at least know. So like a good management company has different levels of people they can get out to your property in an effective way, quickly without breaking the bank. That's important. Got it. So as we're, as we're chatting here, we're talking about deals and what is your, what's your favorite part of the, of the deal, right? Of, is it the acquisition? Is it the raising capital? Is it management? Is it repurposing and selling, working mm-hmm. with tenants, working with invest- Like what's your favorite part of the deal? I mean, the selling, the selling and refinancing ain't bad. You know, it's nice to get paid at the end of a long project. I have to say, I, I guess I, that is my favorite, you know, the refinance, the, the sale, whatever the exit strategy, it's so nice when you're working on a four-year project, you know, you've put the money together, you've, you, you've told investors where, what you're going to do with the assets, with their hard-earned capital, you've achieved those marks, you know, I'm exiting uh, a portfolio of real estate in Vermont right now, and I just put together like the final spreadsheet that looks at what I'm accomplishing for my investors, for my company, and it's, it's very nice. And um, one of the properties is earning like double what we had targeted. The others are like spot on. So um, I was very satisfied with that. You know, I put my real serious like sweat and uh, hard work into this. I was like doing the landscaping. I was staining decks at certain points. We kind of had to, uh, you know, do some of that to make ends meet on these projects. And, uh, you know, that was my fault for kind of underestimating a couple things in the project. So I filled in the gaps where I needed to. And uh, that's what it took. And uh, that's called a little sweat equity, you know, and, and I was really glad to achieve those returns and investors. So I guess I like, I like the exit. <laughs> yeah. The exit is a, is a fun part. So for, for people listening in, what, where's a good place for people to connect with you, chat with you, check out your podcast. This is probably a good place to, to plug what you've got going on over there and, and, and tell, tell people about your business. Sure. So our website is peoplescapitalgroup.com and we have a podcast there, which you are just on there. I think we just put the episode out actually. So check it out. That's the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. And you can check out one of our latest episodes. Josh Wilson talks about how to buy a business. And I have like 62 other episodes on there. I have past webinars. Uh, we have private offerings that we try to uh, put out to our investor group every a quarter or so. So you can sign up to get on that list. You can get qualified by filling out a form. And that all starts at peoplescapitalgroup.com. Awesome. Awesome. So ladies and gentlemen, listening into Deal Scout, uh, reach out to our guests, tell them thank you for being on the show. Find a way to do a deal with them. If you're looking at uh, Jersey market, right? And you want to know more about uh, opportunities there, mm-hmm. head on over to peoplescapitalgroup.com, have a conversation with Aaron and uh, do a deal with them. If you're looking for specific deals or would like to talk about deals here on the show, head on over to thedealscout.com, fill out a quick form and have a chat with me. Maybe get you on the show next. Until then, talk to you all on the next episode. See you guys. Thank you, Aaron.